0: Welcome to the Coop Center podcast. And here's your host.
1: The man coverage all across the board. Fans on their feet. Minshew calling out signals. He's going to keep it himself. And he's got the first down. Slides down around the 10. The mustache not done yet.
0: Minshew has time again lost one up touchdown dj shark michael preston what a totally cool awesome bueno hard coming up with superlatives past that point what an awesome thing for Gardner Minshew to get his first start in the NFL, filling in for the injured Nick Foles, and he does that on the final drive, and then Doug Marone takes the ball out of his hands. Luke Falk got a shot Monday night, too, after Trevor Simeon got hurt, and he's going to be at the Jets' starter, apparently, until Sam Darnold's injured, or is back from mono, so two Coug- the last two Coug starting QBs are in the NFL playing. That's pretty gosh darn neat we're going to talk to Vince Grippy about that coming up here in a little bit. We'll talk to him about Cougar football and overall perception of the Pac-12 and all that good jazz as well. Vince always has such a good read on it. Uh, we'll go over our game against Houston next as well, preview UCLA a little bit, and then end with our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything, as we always do here on the Kook Center Hour. Um, I think we all knew that that game against Houston was going to be the toughest test of the season. And as it turned out, we were all, and I do mean all of us, we were all correct. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the most difficult test Washington State has faced so far this year. I think they were pretty lucky to not be down more in that first half at 14-7, being the halftime deficit uh, when they went into the locker room in Houston. But boy, did they show you that kind of that same theme we've seen with this team the past few years is there's just no such thing as a deficit that's too great as a team that's too big, mostly. Mostly. There's just no such thing as that. And that, you know, you're not... I I, I don't think, you know, every time this team goes in down at halftime, I'm like, no, well, they're definitely going to come back and win. But you saw towards the end of the half, things, well, getting a little bit better. And then I think after those first couple of drives, um, you know, you felt first couple of drives of the first half, you felt obviously much better about their ability, the defense's ability to play. To their credit, things got slowed down enough in the second half, and to Houston's credit, we we kind of talked about this last week is that they don't want to put the ball in Washington State's offense hands very offense's hands very much. They don't want to slow the game down. Houston scored on every drive they had in that first half. Field goal. Uh, attempt, or excuse me, they didn't, but they missed a field goal attempt on their first drive, and they scored touchdowns on both of their next two drives in that half. And I mean, you're talking about I mean, look at that one drive, seven and a half minutes long. Good God. That took forever. That is way longer than a Houston drive should ever take. And then after that, drives of two minutes, minute and a half, minute 42, 247, buck 51, nine seconds, and a buck 29. That's more like, and that's generating more possessions for Washington State. And I know I was frustrated. I think we were all frustrated with the performance of the defense in that first half because the tackling just disappeared. This team was not tackling. Their run fits were bad. They had Derek King dead to rights in the backfield a few times. Couldn't wrap him up. And Houston seemed to be able to kind of do what they wanted with the football to a degree. About five and a half yards per play on that. First touchdown drive and then a much more substantial over 10 yards per play on the second one. But boy, did things ever turn around in in the second half. The defense began to tackle again, and the offense got going on every cylinder. I want I just I, I think one of the most telling things I can always find is the drive chart to see how things are going for any team in a particular half. And let's see Houston's drive chart here in the second half. So you have fumble, punt, punt, punt. Field goal, fumble, touchdown. So two scoring drives, two turnovers, and three punts. Okay, now let's go to Washington State uh, in the second half. Touchdown, touchdown, punt, punt, touchdown, field goal, end of game. So they scored on four of their six possessions after only having three possessions in that first half. Or four possessions, excuse me, in the first half. When they went punt, punt, touchdown, and a really bad interception from Anthony Gordon that, my God, I saw that coming all the way before it happened. That was just not a good interception, and I'm sure it's one he would obviously love to have back. But they really picked it up in the second half again. The defense, the tackling was there. The penetration into the backfield was there. The coverage in the secondary got better. Derek King could not throw the ball. Houston could hardly run the ball in that second half. I mean, I mean, just besides the fact that you're looking at, you know, how drives end four plays, four plays, three plays, seven plays, six plays. That's really good. You guys, <laughs> I mean, you're averaging under six yards per play on each of those drives on some of them. You're barely averaging four. And so it's, it that looks really good in that second half. And it's indicative of a team that went into the locker room, knew what the hell they had to do. And came out and did it. Knew that they were the number 20 team in the country. Knew that they were better than this Houston Cougars team. And came out and put a friggin' hurting on them in the second half. That's what that looks like. Anthony Gordon's second half of throwing for dang near 300 yards. He completed three quarters of his passes throughout the game. And had three touchdown passes overall in the game. He's not a bad runner, by the way, either. That's a That was a fun discovery. That Anthony Gordon can scoot with the football a little bit. But I think after that game, you feel pretty darn confident about the skill he has in the pocket. He looks so confident back there, at least to my layman's eyes, he looks fairly confident back there. And he looks like a guy who knows what he's doing. And it was certainly a concern I think everybody had coming into this season as a guy with no real game experience whatsoever. Is he going to have the confidence to be the Washington State quarterback? And I think that's due in no small part to the fact that he got those first two games against New Mexico State and against Northern Colorado, two teams who frankly did not put up much of a fight, not that they were expected to, and you had some confidence building there for Anthony Gordon to get comfortable in the offense, to kind of really get a feel for what he should be doing, and the payoff is here. He's not checking down to Max Borgie as much as Gardner Minshew did. He's checking into runs a little bit more often. Although that might be Max Borgie this season. I do want to get some clarification on that. I think it is Max Borgie doing the checking this year. And frankly, guys, some of those passes are are just amongst the prettiest I've ever seen. His touchdown pass to my guy, Des Patman, was... I had a moment. I had a moment. You know when you're like 11, 12, or 13... And you see, like, a celebrity or somebody for the first time that you're like, Wow, that person's really attractive and I'm having these brand new feelings of being attracted to people. That was that moment for me. He just dropped that ball into a bucket. Right over Patman's shoulder. Didn't even have to break stride. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it was just no big deal for him. Just flicked the wrist. And there it was, 30-some-odd yards downfield. Play the fight song, as our friend Brian Anderson likes to say. I wouldn't go so far as to use our patent-pending, stony win for this game, but that's as close as they've come, obviously, in this young season. And it was, I think we talked about before the year, that if you really wanted to be comfortable going into Pac-12 play, you needed to win all three of these non-conference games because... As Scott Cresswell pointed out to us on Slack this week, every road game, as it stands right now, every road game Wazoo will play for the rest of the year is against a ranked opponent. That is no easy task whatsoever. I mean, again, as it stands right now, every team they play on the road is ranked for the rest of the year. Now, are they going to lose all those games? No, they're not going to lose all those games because they're also the number 19 team in the country. So... You're also in the top 25. But it speaks to how much more difficult that Pac-12 schedule is on the road for them than it is at home. It kind of makes the four remaining home games, including this one against UCLA this weekend, must-haves. If you want to have a shot at a Pac-12 North title as you've been so tantalizingly close the last three years, you need to win these four home games because you're going to have to go up and get a couple of people on the road. So that win, I mean, you know, it's important for bowl eligibility, but it's also important to build your confidence to go into now. I mean, it's hard to believe we're a quarter of the way through the season, but now you're into conference play. Now you're into Pac-12 play. You're going to see a very down UCLA team, and then you're going to run into two teams in a row on the road who look very, very good so far. Arizona State getting that win over Michigan State. I mean, yeah, they got some help at the end, but that's no easy task. Utah looks very good. Their defense looks incredibly stout. You come home against Colorado, and then you got to hit the road against Oregon. And then you're on the road at Cal, where weird stuff always happens, and then home against a very down Stanford team. Oregon State is still rebuilding, and then there's that game that shall not be named. This is where the season really gets going and why it was so important to have those first three because you do want the better bowl at the end of the year, but you want to build your confidence going into Pac-12 play. And you've got a real opportunity to come out here and make a statement on Saturday. This Bruins team is reeling. Absolutely reeling right now. Chip Kelly did not come in and fix it right away, as I'm sure many UCLA fans expected. He's got almost no talent on that roster. His recruiting has not been good, and he absolutely bafflingly this week said he's not going to go back to running the Oregon offense that he ran at Oregon. Why not? It worked. What, like, you can't get those recruits to UCLA? Is that the issue, Chip? I mean, look, it's not for me to, say, to tell you what to do, but all right, man, you can do whatever you want to do. But clearly, this offense is not as complex as the one he was running in Oregon because they've only scored, they've literally scored 14 points in every game they've played this year. And they are 0 3. Now, to be sure, their non conference schedule wasn't exactly easy sledding. They went to Cincinnati. They played San Diego State at home. And frankly, SDSU has been a Pac 12 team slayer the last few years. And then they got, let me check my notes here. Ah, right, the number five team in the country and the best offense some of us have perhaps. Ever seen in our lifetimes. So. To be fair to them. 0-3 was probably not an unreasonable thing to expect. Probably 1-2. You don't ever expect to lose to San Diego State if you're UCLA. But. 0-3 is probably not a tremendously big surprise. And Chip Kelly is. Having some trouble. In Westwood. Or if you want to be. You know Pasadena. Whatever you want to say. So. What's really ripe for the taking here for Washington State is this is UCLA's first conference game of the year. It's Washington State's first conference game of the year. This is a very good time to make a statement. You are a 19 point favorite over UCLA. And near as I can tell in my very rudimentary research on the internet, that is the most they have ever been favored by over a Southern California school, one of the, you know, UCLA or USC, ever. They have never been favored by more than this against one of those schools. It's rare enough for Washington State to be favored against UCLA or USC. So they're they're getting 19 points against the Bruins. Let that sink in. That's dang near three touchdowns. Okay, fine. It's at home. Add three points. Okay, fine. They're getting two touchdowns with two-point conversions. That is insane to think about. That against a, a brand name and a team that you just kind of always expect to be good and that I'm sure Larry Scott would really appreciate if they were good. That you're you're getting that many points against them. But that is the position UCLA is in right now. And that is why you have a chance to really kind of make a statement going into Pac-12 play that Yeah, UCLA is down, but we are not going to take anybody lightly and we are going to step on the throats of whoever comes into this house every single weekend. They have not lost a game in Martin Stadium to a team not named the Washington Huskies and I know that's a big caveat because I would really appreciate winning that game since the first week of the 2016 season when they lost to Eastern Washington. September 3rd, 2016 is the last time they lost to a team not named the Washington Huskies in Pullman. That is how secure Martin Stadium has been for them the last three plus years. And now you have a Bruins team coming in here that has just gotten absolutely stomped the first three weeks of the season. They are reeling. They are not doing well. They look demoralized and completely uninterested against Oklahoma. So take advantage of it. Take advantage of the fact that this team is just not very good right now and you're not going to get a lot of opportunities to do this to them. I know a lot of the players on the roster who are from Southern California really relish opportunities like this because they have a chip on their shoulder. They got overlooked by the big school in the area where they're from. They relish the opportunity to play UCLA. So wouldn't it be cool for them to go out and really make that statement against them? to go out and show the Bruins that they should have offered them. I Granted, the coach who would have had the opportunity by and large is no longer there. But this is a game that they really get up for. And I would love to see it again. Go out there and cover that spread. Make sure the world knows. I know the game is late, but make sure the rest of the conference knows that you are here. And that this is not going to be an easy out the rest of the way and that you are looking at that Pac-12 North title again. You want it again. Because this offense is perfectly capable of it. I think this defense with some improvement is perfectly capable of it too. But this is a very tough road to hoe and it starts right here. Make a statement this weekend so that at least Utah kind of goes, oh crap. We got these guys coming down for a game that ended up on FS1. Oh, don't get me started. Vince Grippy from the Spokesman Review, coming up next here on the Kook Center Hour. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, it is always a pleasure to talk to this man, and he's nice enough to join us right before his bedtime when we're finally getting this recorded, as he informed me earlier. Vince Grippy from the Spokesman Review, you've had your dinner, warm glass of milk. It's almost bedtime, you're going to stop by here and talk about Washington State football uh, first. That's a real honor, I think.
1: Well, if I yawn, it's uh, just... Just ignore it, but it's not because everything's boring in this in this interview. It's more about the fact that I'm drinking decaf coffee
0: right now because it's after six. Oh well, no, that's that's a very good idea. You don't want to be wired until nine o'clock. That's, <laughs> that's a very wise. Exactly choice. right. Uh, three games in from Washington State, I you know talked about kind of in our opening that they got it together a bit in the second half against Houston, obviously. But did you have you pretty much seen everything you kind of expected to see out of them so far this season? Well, I, I no, I, I think maybe
1: I was a little surprised by how efficient Anthony Gordon has been as quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just so much, um, you know, anything he's doing physically. It's more the fact that he is just—he he seems to have his uh, fingers on the pulse of this offense really well. He uh, he delivers the ball uh, in the right place at the right time, most often, uh, most every time. Mm-hmm. Though I really, I have not been. Have I know? I haven't been down to uh Pullman to watch. I'm going to go to Saturday, but uh, I've been doing watching on TV. And the hard part about TV is you don't see what you on TV what they miss. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't ever get the 11. That you, and if you're sitting up high enough at Martin Stadium, you can watch all 11. And you can see hey, sir, hey, the X receiver was open on that. And he went for the the Y guy. You know, type of thing. And, and for both, I can tell from TV, he seems to be doing a really nice job of running the offense, So that that surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, defensively, uh, I I'm, I think we're getting what I expected. Uh, a defensive line that is going to have to, boy, really man up. I think in, in a bunch of games in the Pac-12 because they're not they're not the biggest in the world, and mm-hmm. uh, they got pushed around a little bit by Houston early on in that ball game, and that kind of that kind of uh, was kind of a uh, didn't hurt uh, per se as much as it just, it was it was a uh, question mark that I think they have to answer. Mm-hmm. And a secondary that is, you know, still in flux a little bit. The injuries I think hurt them a little bit against Houston, especially in the safety spots. They we were actually playing a nickel at safety in the, in the one touchdown drive they had near that Houston had near the end of the uh, first half. And, and so those kind of things Little things like that, you know, they still have to fix up. But I yeah. think, is there a team in the Pac-12 that doesn't have some of those same
0: problems? Uh, no, there isn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, I kind of noticed one thing, Vince, that I, I've noticed a little bit more under Tracy Clays than maybe Alex Grinch, a defensive coordinator, and it's that those adjustments at halftime seem to take hold with the players a little bit more, or I don't know whether just better adjustments are being made or whether they're responding to it better, but is that something you've noticed under Tracy Clays a little bit more, that there seem to be, I, I don't know if I want to just say more adjustments or better ones, but that they seem to be taking hold a little bit better at least. Yeah, you know, I
1: think that comes to the fact, I think there are better adjustments in the sense that Tracy Clay is a lot more experienced than Alex Grinch was. So he's seen so much more. And he's ready to make changes, I think, at a quicker pace than Alex Grinch was. Just because Alex Grinch was still learning a little bit when he was the coordinator at Washington State, I think he's gotten better. Yeah, you know, as he's as he's moved around, but I can I can remember back. I mean, Dobie used to talk about this a lot. How uh, you know you watch the first half and you you see that your game plan that you had that you had for the game is just it's not exactly what you expected. They're doing things differently, and if you have an experienced staff, especially defensive staff, and experienced players, which Washington State does have in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, you can go into the lo- halftime locker room and say. And he used to do this a lot. I understand him and uh, Burnett, Leon Burnett would would like go up to Rob Aiky and say, "Hey, hey uh, uh, Bubba, can you uh, can you if we blitz this way? Can your guys do this?" And and Akey told me one time we always said yes, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> no matter if you thought he could do it or not. Okay. He always said yes because it always worked. And uh, the second half, if you go back to the days of the heyday of the, when uh, Dobbs was Price's uh, defensive coordinator. That's what they did really well, is they were really good in the third quarter and on defensively. And I think this group is just like that. And I think a lot of that has to come from Tracy Clays in the sense that he's willing to say, "Okay, I was sure this was going to work. It's not working. we got to come up with plan B and here's plan B. Guys, we're going to do it this way. And they seem to execute it pretty well
0: offensively Vince I, I've said a few times so far this season I, I I continue to marvel at it I think on a weekly basis is just how incredibly deep this team is in terms of weapons on offense Max Borgi at running back and I could run through a litany of wide receivers but it would take me ages I'd be it's like reading you know Tay Martin begat Roderick Fisher in the old testament of the bible I'd be going through so many names and that kind of thing but Is this kind of.? This has got to be the most weaponry, so to speak, Mike Leach has had on offense and the most weaponry Wazoo's had on offense in, I don't even know how long it's been, maybe in your opinion. Over a decade, definitely, but maybe even 20 years or so. Well, I don't think there's any
1: group ever that's been this deep at wide receiver of of good players. I mean, he's got eight or nine that he can count on. I mean, when you think about it, uh, Jameer Calvin was maybe their best receiver. At times last year, and he hasn't played. That may not play this year, and it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, uh, you know, which is just which is just mind boggling in the sense that there's no doubt in my mind that he wouldn't be the top receiver at about six of the twelve Pac-12 schools. You know, Oregon would give their uh, left thumb to have <laughs> uh, as their top receiver. Uh, excellent, receiver excellent right
0: editing there on your part. <laughs>
1: yes, uh, it is a podcast. But yes, so it fun. is. I would, Let's speak with a family uh, flavor there. Um, so, it, it, it's just it, it is pretty darn impressive the way they've been able to do that. And and what's so funny about it though, is they're still they may have the I don't know he could be the best running back in the Pac-12. I mean, I, I, I think Max Borgie has got everything that you want in a running back. Uh, the thing I love about him is when when he finishes a run he finishes a run yeah whether it be a pass when he catches a pass or what he's actually got a run he's going to finish through the defender and he's going to pick up that extra yard and those extra yards oftentimes the difference between winning and losing but they don't use him all that much you know it's just if you watched SC play byu you would have had no thought in your mind that graham harrell was a mike leach disciple yeah I mean, I mean, it looked more like John Robinson's SC, you know, run of the ball guy. They kept running, it, running, running. Now they have great running backs. But they do have a pretty efficient quarterback, or at least he looks to be pretty efficient. And probably the second-best stable of wide receivers in the league. But they're running the ball because that's what SC does. And you can't tell me if, if Mike Leach wanted to. Now he doesn't want to, but if he wanted to, mm-hmm. he couldn't run the ball 45 times. In a game and, yeah. and run for 250 yards between the running backs he has back there. Yeah. Um, but that's not the way he does it, and they do it differently. And if you saw Borghi's catch and run on the little uh, wheel route he came out of the backfield, mm-hmm. that was, uh, if, if anybody's ever, ever compared him to Christian McCaffrey, that's when you want to say, here, this is why he's Christian McCaffrey.
0: Uh, 2.0 I actually wanted to segue into that a little bit because I think what surprised me I mean obviously got brought back for a OPI call that I I thought the flag probably should have been picked up for but either way you still got to at least see the play all the way to the end did his speed surprise you Vince because I I've known you know we've known from last year he's agile he puts his head down like you said he finishes runs he's very physical but he was pulling away from a secondary player. He was pulling away from a cornerback or a safety. You don't know which it was. Did his speed surprise you?
1: Yeah, I, I think it surprised everybody. I think it may have even surprised him a little bit. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, he, he, he do, he's done this in practice. Um, you know, he, he, he's run away from his, you know, the, the second group Washington State may put on the field when they when they do team stuff. But uh, to do it in a game like that against a team that had pretty good speed, I mean, defensively, I thought Houston played an incredibly uh, good game, especially tackling. They were really good at tackling. Yeah, they were. And and, uh, that was the difference for a long time there. But he ran away from some pretty fast guys. And it'll be really nice because that's going to come back at some point. I mean, we're going to see it again. And it's not going to get called back for a penalty that happened uh, on the other side of of the field, you know. Mm and. And it'll be pretty darn, it'll be, I hopefully it'll be on a national broadcast during the time when people east of the Mississippi can actually see it and be impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: let's talk about this game coming up uh, here against UCLA, Vince. I, I said kind of in our intro that this is really a game that you can use to make a statement. I know UCLA is not good. This is not anybody's idea of what Chip Kelly would want to be doing uh, in Westwood right now or Pasadena, excuse me, because that's where the Rose Bowl is. Um, this is kind of a chance, though, to take, you know, an L.A. power a school that, you know, they're down, but they're still a name brand and kind of really establish yourself and say, yeah, we everybody knows we're the number 19 team in the country, but look at what we did to them. Is that kind of how Washington State has to view this game? Because I think they know they are much better than UCLA, but... They they really need to kind of put a hurt into them, don't they? Yeah,
1: I mean, this will be the second team they've played that has also played Oklahoma. You know, yeah. And, and, and the first one they didn't really. Uh, the gap between what Oklahoma did to Houston and what Washington State did to Houston was quite large. Uh, last week, Oklahoma on the road just toyed with you know with the Bruins. It was it was pretty sad. You know, I watched a lot of that game, and there just wasn't a comparison. Yeah. And if Washington State wants to be considered a top ten team, you know that kind of level of a team, a Pac-12 championship team, this is the kind of game that we'd like to see them, you know, just put their foot down and and, and uh, run over, above, over, under, whatever you want to call it, yeah. through the Bruins offensively, and then, and this to me is key because this has always been, to me, the Achilles heel of the Alex. Grinch slash Tracy Clay's defense because of uh, their aggressiveness contain a mobile quarterback, not let him get outside, not let him not lose leverage on the, on the, on the uh, end, and keep him inside the pocket and make him a pocket passer because he uh, it there's not very much chance that he can beat you, sitting back there and throwing 25 passes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I want to talk about him a little bit more because Dorian Thompson Robinson and again this is just kind of a team that. You know, like you said, Vince, you're going to want to let them beat you through the air because he's not really going to be able to do that. So is that the game plan for this week is just to kind of keep him contained because he hasn't shown that he's very adept at throwing the ball. And defensively, I think UCLA looked pretty disinterested against Oklahoma. I don't know if that was just because they were playing Jalen Hurts in the best offense in the country. But is this just kind of a, you know, a very disinterested team or is that your kind of read on what they are at this point?
1: I think they're just more overpowered up front defensively. I just don't think they, they matched up well with Oklahoma, or I, I don't believe they match up very well with Washington State either. Yeah. Um, with with uh, Thompson Robinson, he, the whole the whole deal with him is to stay disciplined because they're going to run read option stuff or you know and run RPO stuff all day long. And, and if you're not in your right spot, if you get over aggressive and, and bite uh, on a running back, he's just going to pull it and go. You would think, because that's the way Chip Kelly's offense worked. The problem was uh, with this quarterback is he doesn't make the right decision all that much. At least in the games I've watched, and I've watched quite a bit of UCLA play, um, and, and so that decision making has not been on, positively has not been on display yeah. in their first three games. You hope that he hasn't put it all together by the time you play Washington State. But the rush end is such a crucial aspect of containing someone like that that if they play well, uh, that position shines no matter who's playing there, then they have an opportunity to, I think, handcuff the UCL offense. The receivers are not that good. just Running back is, I mean, he was pretty good last year, but he hasn't seen the same. Kelly has not seen the same since he came back from injury. I I think they have a chance to post a, maybe not a, if they control Thompson Robinson, they have a chance to post a a shutout in this one. That would be really impressive.
0: Yeah. I wanna talk about one kind of bigger overarching thing with events before we let you go, and that is kind of the perception of the Pac twelve right now. There's six teams in the top twenty five, admittedly. The highest ranked one is Utah at number ten, and then Oregon a few spots behind them, and then Washington State, Washington, Cal, uh, and Arizona State kind of all, you know, mishmashed from nineteen and below. I know the perception of the Pac twelve is down, but do you think they are really they're they're kind of continuing to help themselves and they're By, you know, yeah, nobody's in the top 10. There are, I think, four or five SEC teams in the top 10. But the ACC certainly looks worse than the Pac-12 so far this year. I mean, they have Clemson at the top, but it's really Clemson, Virginia, and a whole lot of nothing. And frankly, the Pac-12s kind of look better than the Big Ten in some ways so far this year. So do they have a chance? I mean, you know, we're kind of getting into that part of the season where you kind of eat your own, so to speak. But are they looking a little bit better nationally, you think? Or is that just going to take a lot more time than one season?
1: I'm going to say no, and yeah. for two reasons. We're going to use two examples. Okay. One is Gardner Minshew, okay? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he's playing in the NFL for Jacksonville. He's this guy that no one has ever heard of before. Yeah. Because we know about him. The West Coast knows about him. But... 75% of the country is just starting to learn about a guy that was fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting last year and the leading passer in the history of the Pac-12 for a season, okay? And nobody knows about him because the Pac-12's national footprint is so small right now, mainly because they don't ever play games that are, that are um, in a position for people to see. Okay, first, that's the first thing. Secondly, um, do you have the problem with perception nationally is when you talk about the Pac-12, you talk about USC, you talk about, in a a sense, UCLA, you you mentioned Stanford, because Mm -hmm. those are the schools that have been really, you know, that are in the national eye, okay? UCLA has been down for a long time in football. USC is not SC right now, and they go, they go to BYU and lose, and people just write them off. And then Stanford's awful. I mean, this is yeah. – anybody that thought they were going to be all that good this year uh, was kind of fooling themselves. They're just not that good. They've lost too much. They have huge holes. So per- perception, no matter whether Arizona State goes to Michigan State wins, thank you pac officials for uh, <laughs> making that not about the win, but about the this call. Yep whether you know washington wins or loses whether you know oregon wins or loses it's almost pretty much immaterial because everybody thinks about sc those california schools and they're not very good right now the best school in california is cal and they struggle to beat north texas state yeah okay so uh, i think the pack 12 is behind the eight ball when it comes to this stuff the ACC is not very good after Clemson and a couple other schools. Okay, but doesn't matter. They have Clemson, which yeah. is you know, I mean, what are they about ready to win their fourth national title or something? Oh, and, I mean, then, this
0: is, if they won it this year, it'd be would it be number three? And I mean, it's yeah. just yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, then you have the SEC, even though it is top heavy this year, it doesn't matter. It's the SEC, the big the Big Ten is the conference of. The Midwest, so it's the football conference of, the, of Chicago and in, in the middle part of our country, and people watch their games, and they have great a great TV package where they're always on. When you can watch them anytime you want to, It's the, among the greatest amount of population in this country. And then you have the Pac-12. Next week, you may have a game between two teams in the top. Oh, I don't know, 12, 15 in the country for sure. Okay, it, it may be your marquee game. Two undefeated Pac-12 teams when Washington State goes to Utah. And you're starting that game at 10 p.m. Eastern time.
0: On FS1, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so what you're talking about is I live in Baltimore. I'm a college football fan. I've watched college football all day. And maybe I'll stay up and watch a little bit of the start of that. Great, I'm going to bed. It's the first quarter, 0-0, whatever this is, boring. I'm going to bed. And say it's 45-43, it's It's the most exciting game of of the day, even if it is. You're not getting those people to watch it, and and ESPN, Fox, nobody's talking about it because they've already turned over to the NFL. Yeah, you know, you play that game, and everybody complains of, you know, and I don't want a nine o'clock game, but you play that game at noon Pacific time. It it's it's a great game, and people talk about it for four or five hours, and all of a sudden the Pac-12 uh, uh, profile nationally goes up. Mm-hmm. You know, so. It's, it's just it's so sad because they sold they sold an opportunity to be in the conversation for one of the top conferences in the country because they were when they first went on to this uh, when they signed this media deal yeah they sold it out because they wanted to for the money which I understand but you, you lost control of your product and it's they, don't, they just do not show their best games in the best way.
0: I'm glad to hear that you also don't uh, particularly want to have 9 a.m. football games. I know that would help, you know, with viewership in the Midwest, but I just, it's, that that doesn't seem like a good, does that seem, we'll follow up on that really quick, but does that seem like a good equation to you, these teams having to play that early in the morning and these kids getting up, you know, I mean, normal pregame routine is going to start at like 4 a.m. That just doesn't seem like a good idea to me.
1: No, it it, it doesn't to me either. I will say though, if you're playing in, in Utah, or Colorado. there's I mean it's not as bad because you've got that extra hour. Right. One at least one extra hour. And Utah's played some early games this year and I have listened to what Kyle Whittingham had to say and he kinda likes it. He likes get getting into it, getting they don't have to sit around, they just get ready, they play They get their game done and then their kids have an opportunity to actually be like a college student a little bit. Which I understand. I get I get that part of mm-hmm. it.
0: But but uh, I just don't I think it's not fair to the kids. Vince Grippy's been kind enough to give us his time right before bed, and we will let you go to your cozy pillow and blankets now, sir. Thank you.
1: In time.
0: Back here on the Kook Center Hour, and our thanks again to Mr. Vince Grippy of the Spokesman Review joining us. We always have a wonderful time uh, when he is generous enough to make some time for us. And uh, now that he's safely tucked back into bed, I keep hammering that joke too much. I do keep hammering that joke, but he was the one who told me when I asked him, uh, yesterday, if he could come on the show, that <laughs> the time we interviewed him was too close to his bedtime, but he was still nice enough to do that. Uh, I want to kind of expand on something we talked about with Vince near the end of the interview there that we, uh, you know, kind of an unplanned question on my part at least was, you know, is this year helping the perception of the Pac-12 or is it going to take some time? And I think that Vince is largely correct in that, but I want I want to spend some more time on it because I know... You know, especially with the recent release of the TV schedule with Utah Wazoo landing on FS1 at 7 o'clock at night. Fox did have this, or FS1 had the second pick that week, so they did pick the better game. But it's a matter of, you know, branding and perception and all that other stuff. And I I think there is something to, like what Vince said, that this league's perception and the Pac-12's, Kind of overall, what everybody thinks of it and how good or bad it is really does depend a lot more on USC, UCLA. I would throw Oregon in there. He didn't. Um, Oregon, Stanford, uh, Washington. Depending on you know how long they are good or bad for, it depends a lot more on teams like that being up there than if Washington State is really good or. Colorado or Arizona State or Cal or Oregon State for that matter. It's it is a matter of the brands at the head of your conference need to kind of be good to have the perception of the Pac-12 be good because so far this non-conference season, really the Pac-12 has been okay. I mean Hawaii did take it to Arizona and Oregon State, but I think those are two of the worst teams worst served, not as good teams in the conference and San Diego State to beat UCLA, but again. It's not like they're in bad shape. The ACC has been awful this non-conference season. The SEC even has not been very good either. They've been taking some bad losses in the non-conference season. You just saw Mississippi State lose to Kansas State in Stark Vegas. I mean, mean, that, that is a really bad loss for the SEC. Missouri played, I can't remember who had lost to them as well, and there were a few others... In each conference, the Big Ten hasn't had a spectacular non-conference season. Really, it's been an out-of-conference schedule time of year or, you know, an out-of-conference schedule year where the big boys have been struggling quite a bit. And I don't think it's necessarily a gap of, you know, the G5 teams closing with the Power 5 teams, but it certainly has not been as it has been in recent years where you've been seeing some domination on the part of Power 5 teams, and especially in the ACC and the SEC. Now, the SEC still has, you know, what is that, four or five top ten teams? I don't have the AP poll out in front of me, but, I mean, they they still do get that perception of the SEC is hard because it is the SEC, and I will grant you that they get the best athletes, and it would be very hard to ever break that moniker. But, as we discussed with Vince, there's really no reason for the ACC to be thought of as this grandiose great conference because they have Clemson and that's really about it I mean I mean Virginia if they can kind of keep it together but their other brand name in Florida State is god they are awful they are just hurtling downhill and breaking land speed records as they do it Michigan had trouble with Army Illinois lost a non-conference game to somebody. Again, I I don't have it in front of me. Illinois lost a non-conference game. They shouldn't have lost to someone. And Minnesota dang near lost to... I think it was Georgia Southern the other day as well. So the Pac-12 has not been... I would actually think it's probably been the second best conference in non-conference play of any of the big boys. They have been pretty good so far this season. But again... The issue is is that this is not coming from the brand names. USC does not have an athletic director, and Clay Helton may be without a job by the end of the season. He's probably going to get lucky because he lost his quarterback and he doesn't have a boss right now. UCLA, you're going to see how not good they are this weekend. Washington lost to Cal after two and a half hours of a lightning delay, but even then when they've been good, I think, you know, Washington fans like to think of themselves as this big national brand, but they just really aren't. They haven't been relevant since the early 90s. They went to one playoff and got smacked around by Alabama. And that's really been it. I mean, since 1991, we've been to the same amount of Rose Bowls. Or no, Wazoo's been to two. Or no, no it's been the same amount of Rose Bowls. So... You can't, like, as, as difficult as it is, and I think as much as there is a good point in the Pac 12 should prop up their good teams and do what they can to prop them up, the kind of credibility of the conference is never going to be at its peak when Washington State, as they were last year, finished the season the highest ranked team in the conference. When you go through the AP top 25 after the season's over, and the first Pac 12 team you see is Washington State. That's not good nationally for perception, for whatever else. Now, you and I love that, right? We adore that. And as much as I can say I love it, and as much as I can say I don't really care about the perception of the Pac-12 if Washington State is good, it is important, though, right, to recognize that that is the case. And again, that kind of brings us back to the TV issue with, not this coming weekend, but next weekend. USC Washington ended up on Big Fox at 1230. Meanwhile, Utah and Wazoo ended up on at seven o'clock on FS1. I don't mind so much; it's not a home game. What do I care? But I, folks in Utah, that game doesn't start till eight o'clock at night, really eight ten, because you know kickoff times are lengthened a little bit after the top of the hour. So uh, their game's not going to be over; it could be quarter to midnight before that game is over in Salt Lake City. That's insane. But it happens because USC, for as many problems as they have, they are a brand and they are in the second largest media market in the United States and Washington is in the 13th largest and they have at least more name recognition, I think, than Utah or Washington State. And it it sucks to admit that, but that is how it is. And the perception of this conference is unfortunately propped up by its historical powers we've talked about this before both in print and here it sucks to have to say that but again the perception of this conference is never going to be great when washington state is the best team i agree that larry scott and company as, as bad as they are at everything else they're they're not great at propping up the really good teams forgot like like vince said. That, that picture of Gardner Minshew that got passed around social media last week of him getting off the plane, arriving at the Alamo Bowl, everybody acting like that was what was happening right then, A, we everybody thought it was what was happening when they got to Houston, when the Jags got to Houston, but B, that they had no idea that he had dressed like that in that leisure suit, unbuttoned down to his waistline. Nobody had any idea he had done that last year, and that's partially because he went to Washington State. It's hard to get national coverage at Washington State for as much mania as there was behind Gardner Minshew, but it's just because, you know, and also college football fans are just different than NFL football fans, and there's just not too much coverage of this conference out West, and you're always going to have difficulty getting eyeballs on a conference that plays its games at 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast. It's part of the reason why, and I really hope it wasn't just John Wilner's behest, 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 whatever, I'm taking away from my point, that the conference is looking at playing games at 9 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Mountain. That is, it just does not compute for me. But when you consider that that is the time slot that TV networks have to offer is 9am Pacific and noon Pacific, and they're not really inclined to give you those noon Pacific ones, you got to do something about it. So while I don't necessarily agree with, and I hate the idea, I, and it pains me to say, I can at least see why Larry Scott and company are looking into it. I don't think it necessarily guarantees you more eyeballs on your games. What it probably means that you need to do is that you need to play more non-conference games on the East Coast. It means playing ACC teams, SEC teams, you know, Big Ten teams in that Eastern time zone earlier in the year and getting eyeballs on your conference to start the season. That I wouldn't have as much of an issue with. For instance, Cal's going to Ole Miss this weekend. That game is at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And Cal could jump up and get Ole Miss. That would be great for the conference. But again, Cal's not a name brand. Even with Jared Goff and even, you know, even really it's been since Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch were there that they've been a name brand. So you need those those big boats to help lift the tide for everybody. And that's just not where it is right now. And it's unfair and it sucks. But unfortunately, that's how it's going to be. And it's why you get kind of rotten tv times if you're not one of those name brands because what few teams the east coast knows those networks are going to take because it moves eyeballs and it may be a marginal amount of eyeballs but those eyeballs do matter quite a bit to advertisers to networks to everybody so very quick thoughts rambling on that and i hope it was illuminating i'm sure somebody will have a problem with what i said and that's fine i have no issue with that Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything Time. We invite controversy, those are my takes. This isn't that kind of show, I really hope it never is.
1: The good stuff, next.
0: Dunderhead of the Week time. I know a lot about ways and pain of losing as a Washington State Cougar fan. I know a lot of bad things, I know a lot of agony, I know a lot of humiliation, everything else. If you watched Iowa State, Iowa, El Asico, as it's fondly known, more in more recent years, uh, this might be worse than anything I've ever experienced. Buck 30 left. Iowa State about to get the ball back from Iowa. Down one chance to drive. Try to kick a field goal to win the game, and this happens. Dalton is back at his 25
1: and sends the kick toward the right sideline. Fair caught at the 20. Dribbled oh. and that'll be. That's it. That's it. The Hawks oh have my it. goodness. The Hawks have it. I thought they might call interference on Iowa, but no sir. The fair catch was signaled for and muffed
0: yes that is one of the return uh coverage team guys running into the returner who fair caught it and the ball bounces off him and iowa recovers woo doggy that is rough and it earns you our dunderhead of the week moniker. Sir, I will not use your name again as I did not steal the Steelers Center last week. We don't want to humiliate too terribly much and take it out too terribly much, especially on college kids, But Man, I would have crawled inside a pitcher and never left after that night. Probably not very good beer either. Just, you just want to wash that emotion away. Ask Michael anything, time. Ask Michael anything. Admire anything. From our own Zane Murphy at Zane underscore RM on Twitter. If we place Chip Kelly within Nick Cage's career arc, are we in kick-ass territory of interesting could make it a comeback? Or Bangkok dangerous, career's gotta be over territory, or some other place in Cage's career arc? These are the kind of questions you want to ask everybody. That's just a, that's Put it on the whiteboard. That's a, that's a great example of a question. Uh, in looking this up, by the way... Um, I was not aware that like Nick Cage has just been in like, he's just done whatever project gets thrown at him the last like decade. I I, I don't even know, like I know Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, he was a voice in that. But my god, the rest of these, I, I don't even know any of these, the Humanity Bureau, Inconceivable, A Score to Settle, were some of these direct-to-DVD or I guess streaming nowadays? Is that where we're at with this? Because I'm pretty sure that's where we're at. We're at. We're, th- th- we're done. We're just at everything thrown at you, and you'll just take whatever job you get. Because Lord knows he took that 49ers job, and that wasn't exactly attractive looking. That's probably where we're at in his career. That's what I would say. My God, he's been in a lot of crap. At Sports with Neil. Sports with Neil. What's more legendary, Gardner Minshew's mustache or his jock strap? It's his strap. Who else just work stretches in a locker room in the NFL in a jockstrap? Gardner Minshew does. At Zimcaster, Matthew Zimmer, what does Luke Falk need to show with the Jets to eventually get his own starting QB job, assuming with another team, and how do the Cougs improve to be a full-game team instead of a, wow, that second half was a huge improvement team? I think Jeff and Craig kind of talked about this on Podcast Versus Everyone, another great show this week. Uh, you're never really going to get a full game out of a team, especially in college, so you just kind of hope you get as much of a good game as you can out of them. Uh, so, I, I think just improving consistency. That's always what you want out of a college team. And what does Luke Falk need to show uh, with the Jets to get his own starting QB job? Boy, that's uh, that's going to be hard to come by. Especially, in the, you know, only 32 jobs like that in the NFL. I mean, there are a lot of starting quarterbacks out right now. So, that's Ben Roethlisberger's hurt for the year. Drew Brees is out for a while. Uh, Andrew Luck retired. I mean, the quarterbacks are dropping like flies. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see. But uh, he's got a lot more improvement to make. He needs to, you know... I mean, I, I I can't really evaluate it, but it's all the same stuff at Washington State. He needs to learn to take a sack better. He needs, you know, look downfield a little bit more, make decisions quicker, all that kind of good jazz. At Pete Cornwell 09, Patrick Cornwell, have you been growing out your mustache for when you meet Gardner at the game in Pullman this weekend? He will be there this weekend. Jack's playing on Thursday. Uh, no, I have not been. A mustache on me looks horrific. At Gillen Stewart, Stewart Gillen, uh, will all the people at the All-Anthracite game be wearing All-Anthracite? Bonus points if you say it 10 times fast. Of course not. I'm trying to wear... You know, I'm going to wear my anthracite, but of course I'm not going to. All anthracite, 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 all anthracite. Boom. At KAM Walsh, Katie Walsh, looking ahead, any thoughts on who looks to be the starter at quarterback next year? Cam and Cooper are going to cruise. That would be my expectation. I mean, I... I leaning towards cam and cooper just because of the improvement or you know the time in the system but it could be going Cruz as well at Cougar 8 rick who has a better nfl career falk or minshu i would probably say Minshew. he seems to have some of the better tools uh to be an nfl quarterback than luke falk does so that's the direction i would lean in on that one at mr tommy g man tom g first eating establishment you dine at whenever you go back to pullman is blank Always try to go to Black Cypress at least once a year. That's a once a year thing. But I I don't really think we have a place that like we have to go to. Um maybe Golden Teriyaki. I love their Szechuan chicken. It's so good. So so good. Really, really good. we haven't been to South Fork, why don't we do that next time? Paradise Creek Brewing is also really good. Really good burgers there. And at Jimmy the Cook, Jimmy Morgan, are your producers inside, outside producers or just inside producers? They're just inside producers. We got them in an apartment and the street's a little busy outside the house nowadays. So they don't get to go outside. In fact, they went to the doctor last weekend and one of my producers needs to uh, be put on a producer treadmill. If you know what I mean. That's a little too bad. Washington State 45, UCLA 21, Wazoo covers. UCLA scores a little bit late, but put your foot down. Make a statement this weekend. We will see you in Pullman and then next week on the Cook Center out.